Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Greetings to you, listener. Thank you for joining us for what is episode eight of the Digital Bulletin podcast. On your panel this time around, we have the omnipresent and omniscient Romilly Broad, Digital Bulletin CEO. Hello, Romilly. Hi, omniscient. Yes, that's me. I can do this anytime, anywhere. <laughs> and we welcome back our voice of reason on all things enterprise tech. It's content director, James Henderson. Hi there. Thanks. Thanks for that introduction. I don't believe I've ever been called the voice of reason before. So thank you for that. <laughs> James, are you excited to be back inside the pod after your month off? Hugely, absolutely, massively excited. Yeah, I can't wait. Fantastic. That's what we like to hear. Now, for you today, comrades, we will get our team's thoughts on what effect the coronavirus pandemic is having on the world of big tech. We will also delve into our case study on InsureTech Company Innovation Group and get the thoughts on a very different looking tech events industry from Sastock founder and CEO Alex Thuma. But first, some news. Kicking off our roundup this month is the story of Eric Schmidt leaving Google after 19 years. He was, of course, a former CEO and took the company public back in 2004, so a headline departure there from Silicon Valley. Elsewhere, Intel has been busy spending $900 million on mobility startup MoveIt, while also investing $132 million in 11 disruptive technology startups. They're clearly not feeling the pinch right now, but the same cannot be said for Uber. Not only is Uber set to lay off 20% of its workforce, but the brains behind its tech, CTO Thuan Pham, has resigned. We have also seen T-Mobile reach a series of world-first 5G milestones, NVIDIA completing its $6.9 billion buyout of Mellanox, and AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson stepping down, a decision that rather pleased the President of the United States. Now, it's unlike him to forcefully state his opinion on an area he knows little about, but... Um, you can find a full roundup of the reporting on these stories and many, many more via the bulletin on digitalbullet.in. But we're now going to kick off our main discussion. And this month, our angle on the coronavirus is exactly what shape the technology world will be in once we're through all of this. And whether there is enough evidence to support a growing theory that digital transformation is actually being shifted along by the pandemic. Now, we know there are countless examples of technology being critical in fighting the spread of COVID-19 and nurturing possible treatments. There's a very good article on that topic on Digital Bulletin right now from NVIDIA's Kevin Deerling, where he talks about some very interesting use cases for technology in the fight against the pandemic. But guys, from the conversations you have had recently, do, do you sort of see growing evidence to support this theory that, that digitalization is coming at us even faster now? Rom, let's come to you on this first. Um, yeah, I think that there is plenty of evidence. I think, uh, you know, being a bit more cynical, maybe there's also evidence to the contrary. Um, so I'll two two examples from just recent conversations I've been having. So um, there there are examples uh, in agriculture, for example. Obviously, agriculture is a very people centric kind of thing, but it's in the process of digitizing itself and automating itself um, with IoT applications, etc. There there are Farms in Brazil, especially because they're ahead of uh, the curve on a lot of this stuff, that are so sterile that it's com a completely non-issue, a complete non-issue, if you like, um, where uh, actually the process of harvesting and you know 
a lot of cases in Brazil, sugarcane is now almost people free because it's it's automated. And anyone who goes anywhere near a cattle ranch in Brazil often needs to wear hairnets and 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 walk through, um, you know, disinfectant and all this sort of stuff. Um, but largely, it's automated, and that's certainly an example of how um, you, you can see a lot of change happening quite quickly because agri-tech as a thing is, is quite a mature thing now. On the other hand, I've been having conversations with people in healthcare where you might imagine, wow, there's been a huge surge in um, you know, in digital um, progress in a short amount of time in, in what is actually a, an, in, an industry sector that's quite behind the curve in terms of its digital maturity. And you'll hear people saying, yeah, yeah, sure, we've got people working from home. You know, everyone's working on Zoom and we're doing using Zoom to conduct, um, you know, appointments with patients and stuff. But actually, most people I talk to are quite cynical. They think as soon as this is over, it will kind of um, elasticate back into exactly the same kind of inertia it was always in. So I, I, I think it's a mixed picture, actually, and you'll see different things in different sectors. Yeah, I think for, from certainly from my experience, what the, the companies who are really um, benefiting from this are the ones who offer a direct service with technology, whereas when there's a sort of middleman involved or a, a middle thing, for example, Uber, Airbnb, those classic examples where there is another step in the process where obviously their tech is really irrelevant now because there isn't there isn't the demand for it. But um, James, do you think it, mm. it, obviously d d the software companies, they're the ones who are going to come out of this, aren't they, with a sort of surge in users and surge in revenue? Yeah, yeah definitely. I think there's... I think that there's almost um, a sort of two-tier impact going on, actually, because I think Gartner put a report out yesterday saying that uh, overall IT spending this this year is going to be down by um, by eight percent um, to a paltry three point three point four trillion. Um, but sort of within that, <laughs> with if you look under that, actually, public cloud, for example, is you know riding the crest of a wave you know huge um huge increases in revenues all of the big hyper majors uh their their sort of year-on-year -year reports are up massively um so i think there's there's a, a, an element of the haves and the have-nots here and uh, rom spoke about the the sort of long-term implications um well actually if you think about how the conversations that are around how we're sort of changing in in the ways that we work you would think that actually a lot of that maybe not all of it but a lot of that sort of cloud capacity that is being bought up at the moment will actually continue you know post pandemic so i think that that those are those are probably what what you would consider to be the you know the big winners in this yeah, that's a really good point, James. And actually, it coincides with a news story today that um, revealed Jeff Bezos is about to become the, the world's first trillionaire. Um, I don't know if you saw that headline um, this morning, but um, yeah, obviously, yeah. A AWS yeah. is, is will be will be sort of experiencing a big surge in in deployments um, during this time. And uh, what we have actually seen is these 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 cloud providers that you mentioned, James, which we previously thought to be sort of um, impenetrable in, in in the sort of scale of what they do and we've seen a couple of examples where some very high profile ones I won't mention any names but have actually struggled to deal with the capacity in this situation rom have you got anything to add on on the sort of cloud cloud point i think i mean cloud is is really interesting and i think there's a kind of macro picture that it paints for me um allow me to be speculative for a second but the um i think what we've seen is a, a russian uptake of uh you know people moving their infrastructure into cloud environments that's probably picked up you would think uh, fairly rapidly in other, in other words things that people were going to do anyway uh, they're now doing quicker now i think that there's a, that 
the the long tail of that is going to be the really interesting thing uh, obviously there's a debate here around how um will moving to the cloud initially but then applications that you put on onto that that fundamentally are around issues of automation and ai um of streamlining processes um are we going to see a rapid acceleration in something that everyone's kind of worried about already which is um disruptive influences of of, of ai and um things like that on work on jobs are we going to see um, there's there's already a concern obviously that in over the next few years lots of people are going to be kind of put out of a job because they're doing repetitive administrative tasks etc that can be done um by machines um are we actually going to be moving towards that quicker now because of firstly because of the 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 accelerated move to the cloud and so on that we'll see as a result of it but secondly um a lot of people have been furloughed a lot of people have may not come back from furlough because maybe they're not as necessary as they once were after some of the technical shifts that have occurred while they've been on furlough do you see what i mean yeah. we might be getting to that point quicker where on the on coming out of this issue um coming out of the viral issue we're going to have to see policy on national levels um actually accommodate the fact that the employment isn't going to come back and look the same as it did before it's, yeah. a, it's a combination of things but it's yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out no definitely i think that one of the the, the big upward curves that you're going to see and i think it was happening anyway but i think it's just going to be accelerated is in rpa because a lot of those mm. a lot of those administrative tasks and you know where perhaps you can't group people into big offices to do them will now you know companies that might have been considerate will now make that jump they will now deploy rpa um in, into their platforms or into their systems and you know rpa is it's very very good at what it does um and while we can mm. talk about how actually it should be sort of blending the, the human and, and the machine um if, if companies are seeing their bottom lines come under huge pressure during covid which they will if there is a a technology such as rpa which can which can help them um then that then that is going to happen and when this furlough scheme comes to an end whatever that may be yeah. then they're, they're going to have some 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 pretty drastic and, and important decisions to make I think this is a really interesting point because yeah. um, from from a technologist's point of view, the messaging at the moment is 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 almost sort of really excited. They're almost saying this is our time now. You know, the digital is 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 going to come at us even faster right now. But actually, the point you, you guys make about how you know the issue of jobs and and that very sort of thorny issue, which is is thorny to to most most people who are working, that that is like something they're worried about. And it's an issue which technologists have been able to sort of bump down the road to a certain extent by kind of saying, look, you know, th this, you know, we feel like it won't be an issue, but it's kind of not because it's not an immediate issue. It's not really something they have to tackle really that seriously. But actually, on the one hand, technology is coming out as faster, but also the problems are coming out as faster. That's the point you're making, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. And so the, I think what most companies and certainly most companies that and, and leaders in this field that we've spoken to have been very mindful about the fact that some of the new technologies that they're introducing because it's better uh, for the company it helps the company to be more efficient more sustainable and actually by extension more sustainable in in all contexts including environmentally um so it's a good thing to do they're they're very mindful of the fact that that may have an impact on some parts of their organizations from a, a human perspective from a human resources perspective 
perspective and very mindful about how they're going to manage that. And often that involves retraining and, they, you know, actually we don't need to lose people here. We just need to, um, you know, give them better, more interesting things to do. Is that mindfulness going to be challenged because of um, because of coronavirus and what is going to be the um, horrific recession globally that's going to follow it? Um you know, is that going to change people's approach to this suddenly, rather than being a mindful, slow process where we can work through that transition, it's going to be more of a shunt. Um, and, it, you know, lots of companies and and um, lawmakers are going to have to um, uh, deal with that, I think. Do you think we'll see a sort of faster convergence of, um, you know, business and technology and government, those three things that sort of, you know, they need to come together in a way, don't they, to, to, to make this work? They're, yeah, they'll have to. Yeah. Safety nets, um, whatever they may be in whatever shape they are, um, will need to be considered in what they haven't really been with a, with a greater urgency. Um, and that's not just because there's a recession and because, um, you know, the, the pool is draining of cash um it's actually a, it's this is you know this is a shunt of, of a forever nature it's going to be you know yeah. that, that change that we've all anticipated because of these technologies feels to me i might be wrong feels to me like it's going to become a, a, a more rapid change because of what you know what's going on right now James, do you, do you feel like um, obviously we know that the sort of general workforce's view of technology is is mixed to say to say the to say the least? What what do you think the ultimate kind of perception will be once once we've got through this? And on the one hand, you know people are more used to relying on technology to do their jobs, but on the other hand, they might be fearful about the future. Yeah, it's, it's, there, there's there, there's two sides to that coin, isn't there? That the, the facts are that um, if this if this had happened ten years ago. There probably wouldn't have been the technology uh, to support remote working. There wouldn't have been the technology to support the number of jobs that that are still going on. So, in that sense, technology has actually enabled companies uh, to, to to keep going in a lot of cases and enabled people to keep working. Um, but on the other side of that coin, there's there's no question that uh, or, or, you know enterprise, if they haven't already, will will be considering the the, the technologies that actually you know take a lot of the human element out of a lot of these administrative tasks which while boring represents a, a large chunk of, of of what they have to do every day um yeah. so it, it it's it's a mixed one isn't it i've got i've got friends who are doing jobs from home which which three months ago would, would just have, have, have seemed impossible you just wouldn't have you wouldn't have even considered that, that you could do do things like that yeah. um so it, it's 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 a difficult one it it as I said, it's it's helped keep a lot of people in jobs in one sense, but there is definitely the potential there that that it will take others in the long run. Yeah. What about the the startup ecosystem? Because we know that the sort of tech startup ecosystem, particularly, is is uh, well, has been thriving. But ultimately, startups are startups, aren't they? And they they need they need cash, they need business, and and, and do you think it will affect that that arena, Rom? Yes. Uh, it already has, of course. Um, you've got governments all over, including ours in the UK, um, coming up with you know interesting uh, rescue packages. I think in this in this country, startup the the government is offering a matched a matched funding type thing, where you know if you can find yourself an investor, the government will match that investment um, to make you know investors 
continue to to want to invest in things but the truth is and i, I you know I, I mentioned the the pool running dry of cash that's kind of that's kind of how i imagine it if you imagine um uh, a, a swimming pool with a shallow end and a deep end um and the newer you are as a startup the nearer to the shallower shallow end you are the, and and cash is the water someone's pulled a plug and it's the people at the shallow end that are suffering first because their capital is um you know uh, being burned because that's first of all what they do with that capital with their seed funding or whatever it is um that runs out and the investors aren't there right now to to keep them going and so it's a bit of a bonfire frankly uh at the minute from a startup perspective as far as i can tell um obviously i'm, I'm not an investor i don't really know but the um everything i read would suggest that there's uh it's it's a bit of a survival of the fittest kind of situation if you're not in if you're not a startup that's already looking very good in terms of um, um generating revenue and um approaching a a, a point of, of you know creating profits then um it looks like you're going to struggle yeah so james, we'll, we'll see. james you think one consequence of this is is sort of MA activity because i know you've written about this before but there does seem to be a quite a lot of acquisitions in that in that sort of very sort of specific tech kind of startup area at the moment doesn't there Oh yeah, without doubt, it's like it seems to it doesn't seem to have um, affected investors if if they feel that the companies are right, you know, if they have the tools to to enable to companies to automate quicker or or to embed machine learning into their platforms. Actually, we've we've seen billions of dollars change hands just over the last couple of months. Um, so Rom is absolutely correct in that for for most startups out there this is going to be a really really bumpy ride and, and the, the truth is a lot won't won't get through it um but actually if you if you happen to be working in 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 the right areas i mean i wrote last month for last month's digital bulletin a piece about um how you know fintechs which offer really nuts and bolts services how they're they're probably going to be in big demand and that's simply because the, we know that the big financial institutions, while they talk a lot about being end-to-end -end digital, we know that actually that's not the case, and a lot of their infrastructure is is old and uh, and and not really fit for purpose. So they and so all of us are now banking, whether it's our you know personal banking or business bank, we're all banking online all of the time now, uh, and we've we've already seen banks have have gone out and and looked to look to acquire fintech companies that can sort of plug the holes in their digital offerings and and that absolutely and that's the same at the moment we're seeing a lot in the sort of automation and ai space as well um so it, again i sort of come back to this sort of two-tier system the, the winners and losers and that's definitely been the case during this pandemic so far yeah i think so i think that, that's yeah, there's a lot of luck yes yeah, absolutely an element of luck yeah. to it yeah yeah, and there's obviously a lot of pain as well. There are winners and losers, but I do sort of feel in the technology industry in particular, there is sort of opportunity for a, a lot of companies as well. So yeah, let's close off this topic now, guys. We're going to have a quick break before jumping straight into our Innovation Group case study. Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter. For this month's case study in review, we're going to look at the story of Innovation Group. Now, Innovation Group has been delivering business process outsourcing services to insurance companies for nearly 25 years. But the action it has taken around technology in the last three years means it is now a very different beast. Earlier this year, we visited its new offices in London to get the whole story from CTO Mike Hinton and Chief Revenue Officer Andrew Considine. Now, to set the scene, here is Hinton explaining the legacy challenges he initially faced in his role. 
it was pretty clear that Innovation Group had been talking about innovation, in particular software product applications for some time, but hadn't really delivered those. We've been lucky enough for our clients to be loyal to a certain degree. We've managed to hold on to a lot of our clients and customers. Um, and yet the promises around the digital journey, the digital platform, that transformation hadn't really come to fruition. So really the, the first part of, of my role here at Innovation Group was very much to pull together a strategy and deliver that strategy around digital transformation, moving us from our typical BPO business in each of those regions that has a little bit of tech at the back end. That tech isn't particularly smart and still drives an awful, awful lot of manual processes. Um, but what we need to do to, to keep our clients, grow our revenue uh, and stabilise the business within Innovation Group is very much lead with technology, which is a strategy that's been put together in the first six months of my tenure. We're now three years in. We're live with our platform. Our platform is known as Gateway. It's going to consolidate all of our regional legacy applications. Okay, so I'm going to set the scene a bit here, guys. Um, and what this really is, is, is a, a legacy story. Now, we, no, we normally sort of talk about legacy and, and a, a company's legacy, but this is a, <laughs> a legacy on a, on a huge scale for Innovation Group. It had, I think it had more than 350 sort of disparate applications used by all of its regional businesses all over the world that were in, in, in no way connected and, and created all of their own data and ran on all of their own systems. And it, it sounded like a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. And obviously, Mike Hinton, Mike Hinton took, um, took the role of CTO in 2017 and it's only really at this point that he's managed to sort of get to get to the stage where they're able to unveil their new kind of technology solution to to combat the problem they had so three years sounds like a long time but obviously it, it is uh it probably it probably was needed to to untangle that um the, the the processes and systems that that were sort of burdening innovation group with the work they're doing now they've launched gateway which is the platform um that manages sort of the whole claims process from the from sort of the first notice of loss right through to a settlement um so yeah that, that's sort of an overview of the story really james let's touch on this sort of challenge of of legacy is it fair to say that shifting legacy technologies is one of, is, is one of the toughest challenges still facing it leaders today yeah, I mean, if you if you're a CIO, it's uh, it's well certainly before COVID, right at the top of your list, I think. Um, and actually, given what we were speaking about earlier, with these, you know, the, the number of companies that are shifting their infrastructure into the public cloud, actually, that's that's something that they're going to have to consider now as well. I think that they 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 have a they have a bit of a conundrum because obviously it's you know it's really difficult to to migrate large sort of monolithic systems uh, piecemeal or break it into chunks and. And stuff like that. I think I, I read recently that sort of seventy percent of organisations are either working on or have a digital transformation initiative um, in 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 the plans, and all of all of them are, are going to have to consider. All of them, apart from the very newest companies, will have legacy systems of some sort. And just to sort of illustrate, you actually back up the point you made there. I was speaking with a, a CEO a couple of weeks ago, and he told me before that their sort of digital transformation. Um, before they they'd put that in place, sixty percent of the cost of their tech stack was sim was spent on the technologies to get their various legacy systems to speak to each other to make them sort of interoperable. So that really demonstrates the sort of massive challenge and massive cost that there is with these legacy systems. And 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 if we were saying earlier that um, 
this pandemic is going to accelerate, you know, digital transformations and, you know, it's going to bring that challenge to the fore even more, I think. Yeah. Mike Hinton's probably actually glad that um, he, he, the timeline worked out as he was because, you know, obviously they've got their, their platform and their, their sort of systems ready and in place just before the, the pandemic hit. So, um, Very lucky, yeah. yeah. Um, Rom, coming to you now, obviously um, the Gateway platform, which, which was launched earlier this year from Innovation Group, is, is sort of designed as a one-stop shop um, sort of platform for, for insurance claims management. Do, do you want to kind of illustrate how, how sort of, how different that is to the sort of way innovation group worked before and how, how it will really sort of transform the way they're able to deal with their customers. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, um, it's essentially where innovation group used to sit was as a, a, a middleman they would manage claims on behalf of insurers, but they, and what, but when they're, when I say middleman, I mean a middleman between an ecosystem of different, uh, organizations. So, you know, depending on maybe it's an auto, accident maybe it's a, a house insurance claim or whatever but whatever it is you're going to have a number of parties involved in in resolving that claim um from you know body shops to plumbers to you know whatever it might be um that's and that historically been an aching as far as i understand it an achingly kind of bureaucratic process for obvious reasons you've got so many different people involved yeah. what they've built is a system that can basically integrate all of those people to make it um, way way more efficient yeah. and that's it's a perfectly timed offering isn't it if you think about it as you as you sort of hinted at just there they couldn't really have timed this any better because all of a sudden there are you know there's a, an awful lot of insurance claims going on but also uh, an awful lot of insurance companies that have had to um, try and respond to themselves in terms of their people to be able to um, uh, respond to their customers at the, at the same time as shifting all of their people, you know, out of the house to go to, out of the office rather to go and work in their homes and so on. And Innovation Group has been ideally positioned. Not only have they developed the gateway product, which makes things more cost effective um, throughout the ecosystem, they also provide um the flex that a lot of insurance companies have needed um right now because they're an out uh, you know a, a process outsourcing organization they've got people all over the world yeah. already working from home um who can take up the uh, pick up the slack if you like um from from big insurance companies who have seen an influx of new claims while at the same time a reduction in their ability to to deal with them so it's um, I think it's obviously a very innovative and interesting uh, service that they've that they've come up with, and an ideally timed one. Absolutely, and and we'll get um, we'll we'll touch more on the sort of extra insights that Mike was able to give us on on their sort of how they've dealt with the the pandemic. But Innovation Group partnered with Microsoft to build Gateway out of Azure. Andrew Considine was previously Chief Product Officer, so led the build of the cloud-native platform. Let's hear from him on what benefits this approach offers to Innovation Group. From a cloud-native perspective, we've really gone back to basics and, and started from the beginning in terms of building out the platform. What we haven't done is done a, a lift and shift approach where we've taken legacy applications and put them up in the cloud. We really have started from scratch working with some of Microsoft's best engineers globally uh, to make that happen. And what that's allowed us to do is to build up an architecture that's not only safe and secure, but ultimately completely extensible in terms of running and developing new applications on top of that architecture. So what that means is that we can spin up microservices within our environment really quickly and rapidly. Uh, we can deliver them in a way that's 
fully applicable with the clients that we're working within. So and that's, that's a challenge, doing that within a single platform, but working with multiple clients. It's that modern microservices architecture that gives us the ability to be able to do that. Now, as Andrew said there, the, the relationship with Microsoft here is key because what Innovation Group hoped to do ultimately is, is, is sell Gateway as a SaaS offering through Microsoft Marketplace, which really opens up the technology they spent three years building to a, to a much wider um, group of, or a much wider market. Rom, is, that's where the potential is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've sort of said, look, let's consolidate all this complicated stuff to make it easier and more efficient for everybody and therefore, you know, less expensive for everybody. Uh, and let's find a way to make sure that people can access that really easily. And so that's what they've done. Uh, but they're, they're, I mean, their, their partnership with Microsoft goes even deeper than that, of course, because that it's enabled them to actually respond to the changing, rapidly changing global environment uh, at, that we sit in, you know, right now. They've, you know, they've used a, a suite of Microsoft services in order to enable their own people to 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 carry on doing what they're doing. Um, you, so, you'd, I mean, you'd, you'd think the future is very bright uh, on the basis of of all the decisions they've made over the last um, three years. Yeah, let's talk a bit more about, because obviously, j just to provide some insights from our end, we interviewed um, Mike and Andrew just just before the sort of the, the pandemic problems accelerated um it was one of the last things we mm. did actually um before before we were all locked down um and then at, at that point obviously as we were building the innovation group story that the sort of side side story of how they're dealing with the pandemic quickly became something they really wanted to talk about wasn't it uh, yeah absolutely and we, we published a separate article actually on that on that subject which rapidly became one of the uh best performing articles we've ever published i think because it was so topical i guess um and you know, there's just, there's serendipity involved here. I think you know, innovation group have been quite lucky in a way. Um, and there's, maybe there are lessons for others in there. Uh, certainly, that's an article that's worth reading in that context. Certainly, as well in terms of how they've worked um, with Microsoft tools to to you know to manage the the what what's going on. Um, but it might do uh, for every organisation out there to have pandemic planning as a basic strategic imperative forever because if there's a, if there's a, one thing that can accelerate your ability to be resilient um to to you know things like what's going on and to prompt effective digital transformation it would be this wouldn't it uh, and yeah. you can then achieve the same things that the innovation group have absolutely and it harks back james it harks back to the point um, we made earlier doesn't it about the the big public cloud providers in this case it is microsoft and actually one of the one of the big benefits of sort of going all in on public cloud is that kind of flexibility and the agility and the speed of change. And this story of Innovation Group, a being able to to build a, a platform wholly out of Microsoft Azure, but also being able to use Microsoft's other tools around collaborative working to make sure that their business is still able to run on a on a day to day during a pandemic. And it's kind of those relationships, isn't it, that with those with those big hyperscalers that make it really really kind of compelling for a company like innovation group yeah i think that's that's the key for me isn't it is the the word you've touched on there is flexibility that they've been able to do both of those things with yeah. with azure sort of shows the, the the strength of that relationship and and actually the the potential that that these hyperscalers can, can bring to enterprise and i think that there's a, there's a wider conversation here isn't there around sort of what you know you know is this this shift that we've seen um 
whether you know whether it be insurers or or any other big enterprises of of, of people you know being locked down at home and, and using these services to to sort of carry out their tasks is that something that we're, we're going to see for the long term i think we saw i think it was facebook and uh, maybe one other that, that that i can't think of right now said that you know this could be the new normal they're, they're saying that people can work from home until th- this time next year as well so Twitter, Twitter that, and Google. Yeah, Twitter, yeah. Google, uh, Microsoft. Um, I think Twitter even said if people want to work from home forever from now on, they can. So that that that's right. going to be interesting yeah. in terms of you know how cloud services are set up. Are we going to you know huge investment? Surely going to be needed in terms of a capacity if if this is a if this is a longer term trend. And you know that goes for us as well, even as a, as a small company. What what does it mean for SMEs as well as as, as well as large organisations? Yeah. Now, um, no, good chat, guys. Thanks for that. Now, you, you can get our long read article on Innovation Group's transformation and watch some videos too over on digitalbullet.in. But after this very short interlude, we will be moving on and hearing from Alex Thumer, founder and CEO of Sustock. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief, the latest news, insights, and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. Subscribe now at digitalbullet.in. Normally at this time of year, technology's biggest and best would be using glitzy events to show off new products and get their partners and customers together. But of course, the coronavirus pandemic has turned the events industry on its head. Alex Thuma is CEO of Sastock, a community of SaaS founders and executives and the creators of conferences worldwide for software professionals to meet, collaborate and network. I had the chance to catch up with Alex and in our interview, he reveals how Sastock has quickly pivoted to remote event hosting, talks about his own experience of control COVID-19 and considers whether the world of events might just have changed forever. But my first question to him was about finding out just what the last few months have been like working in the tech events sector ever since Mobile World Congress was cancelled right at the last minute back in February. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, that the, the Mobile World Congress thing was only like eight weeks or so ago, right? It feels it feels so so long ago. But um, but yeah, the that was the kind of the first big case, the first big cancellation, and and this kind of happened, I guess, um, the Mobile World Congress cancellation uh, roughly a, a week or so before the event, as the big corporate sponsors started to pull out because they weren't, you know, I guess weren't really comfortable being B2B, you know, sending their employees there, you know, thinking about the liabilities, thinking about the safety of their employees and so on. Um, and then ultimately, I think the, the, the decision was forced, right? And, and this was a kind of late call, but they were one of the first and the biggest perhaps, you know, this year to be impacted by that. Um, then a couple of weeks kind of later, what we saw beginning of March uh, was that within, within a space of a week, about 150 conferences worldwide were cancelled. It was just like a domino effect, another one, another one, another one. And, you know, we were looking at this, you know, thinking it was pretty crazy. Um, but, um, but, yeah, anything that was happening in March and April got cancelled. So at the time, I was looking at this from my own you know, perspective, running a, a conference business, thinking, well, our first conference is in mid-May. Uh, and then we have one at end of June. And then we've got one in mid-October and then one in November. So we're going to be okay, I feel. I'm optimistic we're going to be okay and that it might be business as usual. But within a space of a week or, or two weeks, really, we sort of realized that actually this is not going to be business as usual. You know, this is, this is more serious than, you know, I could have thought. Um, and 
beyond all the conferences cancelling in, in, in March and April, we're sort of really looking at the very least of any in-person conference that's happening in the first half of 2020 uh, will not be taking place. So we made then very quick decisions that we were uh, cancelling our LATAM event in May and cancelling our North America event in June. Uh, and again, any conference that was happening uh, really kind of between now and, and, uh, and June got cancelled kind of like one after the other. Again, a kind of bit of a slower, uh, less dramatic sort of domino effect. Everyone kind of, you, you know, expecting that. Now what's happening and, you, you know, I'm, I'm uh, speaking to other conference organisers, you know, looking at what's out there, thinking about our, our business, you know, for the second half of the year, because what we did to react to that, you know, in, initial situation uh, and moving you know our latam and north america conferences is we we created this online uh, conference sas.remote remote to kind of help us out as a business and and provide value to uh, for the first half of the year and provide value to the, our community for the first half of the year uh, and then like evaluating um you know what's happening in in the second half of the year and there's still a lot of conversation happening about that a lot of chatter happening about that today in the whatsapp groups that i'm in and some organizers are holding out hope that, you know, in, um, I guess, kind of Q4, uh, that you will be able to, you know, run a, a, a large event. Um, it may be uh, legal to do that, but still with, uh, you, you know, extreme social distancing measures, with people wearing, you know, sort of PPE, with the appetite for people to, or the, the, the low appetite for people to, you know, get on planes, I think, this year and, you know, regain that kind of confidence and be, you know, in, a, in an environment where it's, you know, uh, full, of, full of, you know, people. Um, I really do feel that the people that are holding out hope need to kind of make decisions fairly soon and kind of see that actually, in my belief, there is no hope this year, sadly. You know, as a conference organizer, I don't want to say those words, right? But to bring back uh, in-person events this year, to do them safely in an effective manner, that's valuable, uh, that's also enjoyable, uh, right? And then, um, so we are making the decision that all of our events will go online for, uh, for, for the rest of the year. Uh, and in fact, we're even planning for uh, summer 2021 is when we believe that they will come back. Yeah. It's really fascinating to, to hear sort of the full story from somebody working inside the industry. Alex, can you, can you sort of give us a, a bit more insight into what it's been like for, for the company, what it's been like for you personally, how much work has gone into creating Sastock Remote and also just, just really like how, how crazy it's all been, like how quickly you've had to make some big decisions when really the industry you work in has been taken from under your feet. Yeah, it, it, it's been extremely, uh, extremely crazy. And, uh, um, I mean, again, I, I would never have thought uh, people don't necessarily plan for this, or I think a lot of people don't, right? I never planned for a pandemic, you know, when I started the business sort of five years ago, uh, and I, I never thought I'd, I'd sort of go through one. Um, uh, but uh, but obviously here, here we are, and you know, we had such like we spent uh, so much time in January, you, you know, uh, I, I guess kind of mapping out the year, our forecasts, our budgets, doing everything perhaps uh, to the best of our abilities you know, properly for the first time. Uh, and we had, you know, big goals for the year, which, you, you know, like many other companies just got ripped up, you know, in March. Uh, and then the, 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 the focus was on survival. Like, you know, uh, what do we do to kind of get through this? Um, you, you know, how do we you know, get through to the, 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 the end of the year? You, you know, when, when is it going to end, et cetera. But effectively, for us as a business, our revenues dropped to zero in March. 
Um, and so we, we pretty much had a, a zero revenue month because all of our revenue is tied into uh, in-person events. So we weren't very diversified from, from that respect. Um, and then we had to figure out, you know, how do we become revenue generating, you know, as quickly as possible? What are the options there? We found, uh, we were together with our kind of first team, uh, seven different possibilities, or, or opportunities, products that we could look at, that we could pursue. Uh, and the one that we we picked uh, was uh, online conferences because again we we kind of looked at uh, I guess kind of speed to market, speed to revenue, you know, speed time to value, uh, and delivering all of that and kind of weighing up and and put everybody 24 people in the business uh, on SaaS stock remote. So we went from picking that um, uh, that product idea, uh, you know, that to pivot online uh, from uh, to two weeks later having a fully developed you know, website and product with the first speakers, uh, even the, the first sort of ticket sold to kind of you know, getting back uh, on you know, some initial kind of revenue you know, at that point. So we moved very fast as a team, kind of split up uh, you know, all of the, the priorities and tasks, worked in sprints. So we never probably, we probably never worked as far uh, fast and hard uh, before, but we did it out of necessity and we proved, we proved that we could do it. Um, and learned a lot of stuff along the way. Additional craziness uh, sort of added onto it. You know, during that first week as well, when we, we started to work on SASOP Remote, uh, I, I got uh, uh, coronavirus uh, or COVID-19. Um, and so I was sick for about eight days. Uh, and so that wasn't, you know, good timing. I was thinking, oh, great, you know, getting sick at the time where we're kind of like pivoting online and you know, it's super crucial. Uh, so I was concerned about that, but like ultimately, I was in bed for about three and a half days and then I, I was able to work. Uh, I was just, you know, extremely fatigued and, uh, you, you know, unwell uh, during that time. Um, we, we as a business, you know, we furloughed some staff, um, uh, but only a kind of small percentage. Uh, everybody took a pay cut. Um, and so, and everybody's really, you know, come together. The team's sort of, you know, really behind this and wants to make SASRock Remote a great success. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been like, you know, a short period of time, but we've done so much. We've never done so much, you know, in, in such a short period of time. And now, um, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, back on track, right? Um, which is great. So we had a scary, scary moment, scary time in March where I thought, you know, I did think, which I think is a natural thought and fine to think that, you know, after like four or five years of running a business, is, is, is this pandemic going to wipe us out as a business, right? Um, and, um, you, you know, but we adapted, adapted fast and, you, you know, we've, uh, so far, you know, taken the company kind of out of this, I think we'll, we'll certainly get out of this. And then, you, you know, once we finish the rest of the year, we can plan, you know, back for our growth plans in 2021. Well, I'm glad to hear Alex that you feel the company is certainly coming out of it and, and also for yourself as well, having, having a sort of personal experience of the, of the disease. Now that's, that's, um, that's really interesting. Okay, Alex, let's, let's throw it forward then as a final point and, and consider this in, you know, many people are saying that the, the pandemic has, has created a, uh, you know, has brought the sort of working from home revolution forward and, and more people are going to be working from home even when things go back to normal. What, what impact do you think that will sort of translate into the, into the event space? And do you think digital will play a much bigger role in, in the events industry going forward? Will it ever return to how it was before? Yeah, yeah, good question. Will it return to how it was before? I, I think we'll see a major kind of impact. Um, and I think it could take some time. Um, I do think in-person events, you, you know, will be, 
will be around, but they will look a little bit different, right? And certainly around, you know, the health and safety checks, you know, uh, will become, uh, I, I think, uh, prerequisites, right? Um, and will handshakes, you know, come back, you know, for instance, right? The, the amount of handshakes that you, you do, at, you, you know, some of these events and uh, just think about that now, looking back at it and just the, 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 the hygiene <laughs> issues there. But um, uh, is 2021, you know, fully in person? Will online be a fad or, or will it be hybrid? You know, and I'm betting on hybrid um, and I'm, I'm betting the same transformation that we're seeing with remote work from, you know, from COVID-19, it's gonna have the same transformation with online events and online conferences and we're at that kind of early stage now and we'll see, and my bet is that if you, if you don't have an online play, you don't have an online event in 2021, then you will probably be, you know, certainly not winning the category, not leading your market, you may be insignificant. Right, that's it for today, folks. The timer is sounding on this episode of the Digital Bulletin podcast. Before we go, let's point you in the direction of some of our other content. Issue 16 of the Digital Bulletin magazine is out now, leading on an exclusive interview with the head of cloud portfolio for Vodafone Business. Now, we also have a rich stream of insights from industry leaders on digitalbullet.in, including some very topical articles around the the pandemic. And of course, we have more episodes of our sister podcast, Fragmented Reality, where we bust the buzzwords in enterprise tech. Now, I want to say a virtual goodbye to our panel. Thank you, Romilly. Uh, virtually, that's fine. Virtually. Thank you. And thank you to James. Thank you very much. And thank you to you too, listener, for sticking with us. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast, brought to you by Bulletin Media. Listen and subscribe to a range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Plug into digitalbullets.in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.